Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. This is Good Humans Podcast with me, Cooper Chapman, chatting to the world's best about the inspiring stories that got them to where they are today. What's going on, you good humans? Welcome to guest episode 125 of Good Humans Podcast with a very special guest by the name of Jack Doohan. You guys are going to love this episode. This guy is one of the most talented athletes in Australia and also one of the kindest and best humans I've ever met. If it's your first time here today, do me a huge favor. If you enjoyed the episode, hit that like or subscribe button, give us five stars, but most importantly, just share this episode with a friend. If you got some value out of it, if you were interested in the story, the best thing you can do to help me out to share this podcast and to help us grow. So share it with a friend if you enjoy it. Would absolutely love it. Also, go check out some of the other podcasts. There's incredible guests every single episode with so many valuable lessons to learn. So go check them out. Also, a huge thank you to our sponsors, Drink a Rapper. These guys have been taking care of my brain for so long. And if you're someone who likes to take care of your brain, who wants to have a healthy brain and live a long uh, healthy life, then make sure you go check out Drink a Rapper, the brain drink. It's all natural ingredients, all developed and tested by neuroscientists. Plenty of clinical studies have gone into this stuff. If you want to learn about the science, head over to their website, drinkarepid.com. Use code GOODHUMAN. You can get a big 25% off everything. But more importantly, go check out the science. Go have a look at the data and the studies that they've done to show that this stuff works for short-term brain performance, but also long-term brain health. I drink it instead of my second coffee. It gives me lasting energy throughout the day, no brain fog and a very clear, clear mind. I'd love to know if you enjoy it. Tag us on Instagram, drink a rapper and at Cooper Chapman if you're finding it tasty. But yeah, go check it out. I love the stuff. Okay, today's episode, Jack Doohan, fire out. This guy is a legend. He's the son of Mick Doohan, who's five-time consecutive world champion in what what used to be called, I can't remember what it's called, but what now is MotoGP, one of Australia's most successful athletes of all time. So Jack's his son, but Jack is making a huge mark in the motorsport world just himself. And he isn't riding on a motorbike. He's riding on four wheels in F1 cars, which just blows my mind. I'm a huge fan of the F1. I've fallen in love with it recently. And to get to chat to Jack and get a really good inside knowledge of what's happening in the F1, what's happening in the motorsports world was just fascinating. Jack grew up on the Gold Coast, lived a very similar life to me in ways. I had a lot of relatability with him up until he was in his early teens where he moved over to Europe, really started to dial in with his racing. And yeah, his career's just going from strength to strength. Worked from F4 up to F3. Now has had a bunch of wins in the F2 and he's looking to get his full-time seat in an F1 car. He's got to drive an F1 car a few times. He's a reserve driver for the Alpine team um, or Alpine team, the F1 team which is so unbelievable. There's only 22 drivers in the F1 and then obviously 11, um, yes, reserve drivers. So top 33 drivers basically of cars in the world is just so cool. But the thing that I love about Jack is I spent a few days with, or a few moments with him last week. We went for a surf, I had dinner with him and then we did the podcast. I don't think I've ever met a guy who's more kind, more generous and just more caring. 
Such a beautiful human. I love this chat. I know you're going to love it too. As I said before, if you enjoy it, share it with a friend. Let's jump straight into it. Welcome to your Good Humans podcast, Jack Doohan. Hey, Thank you, you very much. I'm um, doing okay. Doing okay. Doing okay. Um, no, it's a it's a pleasure. It's happened quickly, but it's uh, it's really cool how it has. So. I know. Super great. Super super grateful for it. Man, it's um this is gonna be a fun chat. I guess I'm gonna set the scene for everyone who doesn't. I mean, not doesn't know who you are, but who probably are wondering how the hell's could be chatting to this guy. So I'm gonna set the scene. This is funny. So Jack's a F1 reserve driver, um, amazing, amazing motorsport athlete. And it's something that I've just become quite curious about. And I have a great friend, Sam Moore, who's helped me a lot with my merch, who kept telling me, oh, you got to check meet this Jack guy. You're going to love him. He's a legend. He's going to get an F1 soon. And I followed you on Instagram. And then I think like maybe a few weeks later, you followed me and started to like some of my stuff. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to build up the courage. I'm going to send him a DM. And just by chance, the universe is quite beautiful in some ways. I send you a message. You're probably only in Australia a couple of weeks a year. I send you a message and you say, oh, I'm actually in Australia. The timing right was right. Yeah. And yeah. you're like, come surfing tomorrow at um, Stratty with me and my friend Mick. And yeah. the next day we're <laughs> surfing. Then we had dinner last night and then today yeah, we we're back here. So. Exactly. No, it's um, it's a cool and special how the world works sometimes. And no, like I heard about the you know your business the good human factory um and especially when you start following me i think i you know briefly started following quickly back and to be honest i was like oh it'd be cool actually to to get on a podcast before you'd you'd asked no. um so i had thought about it but i didn't want to i wanted it to happen naturally you know um because i'd only done really one proper podcast before and uh, it's always a good chat you get sort of places that you don't normally get yeah. especially when you start just kind of tossing over it's a good mixture so it happened in a nice sort of way so yeah. you know it's cool that it is it's gonna be fun i just love getting to chat to you we'll talk talking <laughs> about this before when walking around your house just speaking to other young australian athletes especially because we as much as our sports are so different we can still relate with the mindset stuff and i'm really excited to catch up to your career and what you've been up to but the first question i do ask everyone and i, and I told you what i'm going to ask you and you're already freaking out going what am i going to say but what are you grateful for right now in life i think um i'm grateful for right now i'd say that the, i'd be great i'm grateful for like the the bad things that have happened the tough moments the 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 downs the really things that have had a not a bad impact but it really set me straight like made me realize um, like you almost said, what I really am grateful for. And I'm grateful for those moments because without them, I, I wouldn't be who I am right now. I wouldn't have sort of turned new leaves. I wouldn't have understand why things are happening in my head. And really, if I haven't cleared for something, um, cleared something up earlier, mm. um, really grateful for like my circle, my people around me. Um, I know that sounds bad, but it, it's like, you know, really just having a good, you know, not, I don't really have many close mates. I've, definitely got many mates all across the world who i've met for the past many years but <clears throat> a very few selected people that i keep close to me that i really i can sort of unwind to and rely yeah. on so i'm happy that i've had that for now you know almost 10 years the same two three people around me which is is really nice um and to be honest to be able to now some place that i enjoy being most which is here in australia for the past seven years since i've been in europe not being on, I've been being on a world stage, but not traveling the world racing during the 24 years, like the Formula One calendar. And since the end of last year, when I was, now that's giving me the opportunity to come back here to Australia when you're going, say, from the European to Asian season, then it's heading over to the US and 
I'm able to come back home for two weeks before then heading to America. So to be back here before Singapore, after Japan, just spending even a week, week and a half, like being able to be here, no plans, just hang out with my girlfriend and my good friends. Like I say it to myself even without realizing, you know, just when I'm inside doing nothing, just how grateful I am to be here, to be home and mm. to be experiencing this now um, because it's something that isn't a luxury for, for us people, you know, Australians in general who have to go outside to, to perform. We're so lucky when you come home, when you're an Aussie and you come home, you realize like, wow, we've got it so good. And, <laughs> I, and I love you touched on your friends. I came and had dinner last night here. You were kind enough to invite me, my partner and um, our friends who we went surfing with yesterday. And when you go to meet someone who, which we will talk about in a second, like your last name doing with your dad, who we'll talk about just in a second, just to let the listeners know your dad's one of the best motor bike riders in the world. Your friend um, who's here with his Mick Schumacher's dad's one of the best F1 drivers in the world. You walk into a room like that sometimes with a bit of preconception. Hmm, I wonder if there's going to be some ego. I wonder what these guys are going to be like. And without blowing your guys' smoke, you would. I was talking. Me and my girlfriend were lying in bed last night when we got home. We we're like, they are the like most kind, gentle, non-egotistical. Like we do any. Like <laughs> yesterday, you were running around making sure that everyone was okay. You went and talked to everyone. But the thing that I love most about most about both of you that I feel like would be quite rare in the realm that you guys live is your presence. You look at people in the eye. You can see you're actually interested in them. Both of you t- spent time yesterday actually asking me, my partner, my friend about their lives, and that's a quality that is quite rare in people but then when somebody has any every excuse in the world or every reason to have a bit of ego with the family last names that you have with the success you're both having in your careers you could very easily be very different to how you are and a, a, the assumption i almost had would be you would be a bit more different than you are but you guys are beautiful so like there's a little pump yeah. up your time there's <laughs> probably Blown not even a smoke, response but, to that um, but i'm serious i was saying to my girlfriend last night um She's a huge F, oh, her dad's a huge F1 fan. And she spoke to him last night. She was like, oh, I was with like doing and Schumacher. <laughs> but then she was like, listening to her speak to her dad about it is a testament to you guys. She was like, they're the most beautiful humans, which which is amazing. And I just want to say that because I feel like people listening would have that, like, oh, these guys are the rich and the that famous. Perception, the, yeah. the perception. So I just want to say that so people hopefully yeah. will have that perception of you now. But we're going to rewind back. We're going to get to know your story. There's obviously been so many ups and downs. You, you alluded to it in your gratitude. But we're going to rewind to the beginning. But first, quickly, we've got to mention your dad because I don't know much about him. I don't know much about the motor world. Can you explain just real quickly what your dad did, who your dad is? Yeah, my dad, uh, he grew up in Brizzy and uh, like no racing family, no nothing. Just na- had a neighbor who had like a dirt bike um, and which took him to the trap- track a couple of times. And I think he then you know, was enjoying it. His brother started riding and uh, they all s- sort of embarked on trying to become a, a motorbike rider, trying to make a career out of this. Um, and this is the 19, late, I think he was uh, late 1970s into the 80s that he was really, you know, a young teenager and then into a young adult. And, uh, you know, fast forward, did some superbikes in Australia, went to Asia, rode a little bit for superbikes there and um, got the opportunity to go and race which then was which is now MotoGP then was um the like 500cc Grand Prix racing um which got rebranded to MotoGP I think in 2002 um but yeah he started riding in 19 oh my god 1989 and uh, yeah then went on to win five consecutive MotoGP world titles from 94 to, to 98 wow the year um, I was so, born <laughs> so yeah um 
he's a you know obviously exceptional like in the sport and you know as a person as a, as a mm-hmm. athlete um but you know to me is obviously my, exactly. my, my every, everyday regular dad um and but i'm you know super grateful to have him mm-hmm. especially in the the job you could say the sport that i'm mm-hmm. in and regardless if it's a different discipline you know even i think if it was someone completely outside of motorsport that you have that as a role model and as an idol and someone to, to speak to um as you will touch on we'll touch on further you know, that that mindset and that way mm. to to dominate that way to win is all the same so to be able to have that in my corner obviously i'm probably saying that now better than a few years ago when i was telling him to, to get out and we're arguing and so on but, i can have um, a good laugh with you about that i was the exact yeah. same with my dad the exact same yeah. like 15 to 20 you kind yeah. of like you think you know but i mean my dad wasn't a world champion motorsport, so maybe your dad probably did know better. My dad trying to tell me how to say like, come on, dad. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but uh, I think it's always the same. Then you realize that I think, yeah, he stepped back a little bit, could realize that I was, you know, doing the work, that I was making sure I was, you know, putting everything into mm. it. So then he didn't, you know, have any worries on that side of thing. And, and then there's less conflict because we yeah. know that we're both completely fully into it and for not into it but fully putting all the eggs in the basket yeah. to make sure we can you know make it possible and at the end of the day i think that's really one of what i want to do and if for some reason i don't ever make that goal of you know being a full-time formula one driver then at least i'll go hey well you know we gave absolutely yeah. everything at it um there's nothing i can look back on and go maybe i wish i did that yes so. it's such a mature mindset and we're going to really catch up to this part of your life because i think yeah, it's so special to see that now it seems like the relationship with your dad is like, okay, we both have the exact same goal. Yeah. So there's no point. Like there's obviously going to be bickering and arguments over decisions that are yeah. made at times throughout your career. But as long as you both are aware that both of your goal is the same for you to succeed, so yeah. it's like you start to listen to advice a bit better. Yeah, that's something I wish. I, it took me a while <laughs> to learn and now I feel like I know it pretty well. But yeah. now we're going to go back to the start. We're going to get to know your story. So Rewind us back to the beginning. Tell us what your upbringing was like. Let's call it up until you started mm. high school. From what you can remember, the sort of values that your family instilled into you, the sort of sports you played as a kid. I touched on it briefly before we started recording. Like, why are you driving F1 cars, not yeah. a motorbike? And maybe we can touch on that story in your development. But yeah, tell us about your childhood. How was that? Yeah, I guess, you know, from, from day dot, from when I can remember, um, like my first ever memory that I can remember was on like a push bike on a, on two wheels kind of going around. And I think naturally, even without thinking about it, I don't, I don't even know the age when I figured out who my dad was or what he did. Uh, I couldn't tell you when that was, but I knew that I was just always into, you know, things with wheels, bikes, scooters, cars, mm-hmm. motorbikes, whatever that may be. And I, th- and it was, um, not till I was even fully sort of motocross mad and I was you know, only five years old, but I was here having my, my birthday um, in 2008, my, my fifth birthday, which actually at the time my dad was still traveling. It was still, I think it was just coming back from living over in Europe. So it was actually a month after my birthday because he was away. He was away for a long time. So, so that, was he still competing? He was not competing. He then, when he retired, he went on team manager for okay. a little bit for the team. And I think we're still doing yeah, business yeah. And, and whatnot over there. But he was away a lot. So he was clearly away for my birthday and away for a long time. At the time, I didn't know my birthday's in January, but that was like February 18th, a month later or something. But you have no clue when you're a kid. And uh, I snapped my left leg riding here with mates, which kind of uh, scared me definitely off the bike. Wanted me to, I think my dad definitely didn't want me 
to be getting hurt, especially after all of his injuries and everything that happened to him. So I'm sure he wouldn't have been happy, not happy, but wouldn't have liked to have seen that. And uh, yeah, I kind of remember still my first day going to school, I was in a wheelchair. Um, so rocking up at, at school, I think I couldn't even go to the first few days. So I came up, um, so I was in a cast, um, a cast from my thigh and it was oh, a one of those down, huge ones. Exactly. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I couldn't walk until I think that it got chopped and I was able to put a little slipper on the bottom of it because it went fully down my foot. So it was like oh. skaty as hell if I was <laughs> to try and step on it. Um, so going through that, then um, I actually rode a BMX, you know, push bike yeah. BMX. I rode that for two years. I got no clue how I got into that from scratch, but I think I just liked push bikes. It was a natural transition. And, you know, I went, um, I think I want to, Won a state title in BMX when I was six years old, um, right. up in up in Ipswich, and I was doing that for for quite a bit. But I don't think I ever really was thinking, you know, I wasn't Pro thinking long term at that point. But um, yeah, I think I was just enjoying. You know, it was another little thing to be doing. And uh, one of my good mates who uh, is now racing V8 supercars, um, Zane Goddard, who was going to the school I was going to uh, a few years older, and uh, he was getting getting into go karting. And uh, fortunately, dad, um, we, we have a track here on the property. So they brought someone, they, um, his father brought him over to do some laps around the track. And luckily, I'd always had a go-kart since I was three years old. So mixed dad, Michael, gifted me and my sister our first go-karts uh, when, uh, when I was three years old. Cool. Which Michael was, Schumacher gifting you a go-kart. Yeah, it's um, <laughs> really, really cool. So have you I still was, got it? Yes, yeah, still got oh, the I'm going to have a look at so, that later. Yeah, um, I was... Even when I was three, four, I was karting. Um, I used to get, uh, I think I used to actually get scared of the car because sometimes when I run out of fuel over the top of the track, I didn't know where my dad was and I'd freak out. So I was kind of, the cart was a, a scary thing. I could just ride the pit bike in front of the, in front down on the grass and that was safe. I could see my dad and <laughs> we're all in vision. But when my mate was then karting, I'm like, yeah, I want a cart too. Um, and started getting into it. And that's when I was seven. And I asked my dad, I, I want to race. And at the time he told me that, you can't race when you're seven. You have to wait till you're eight years old, which was a complete white lie. He was like, no, I need to need to give myself a, a year because he probably could see that I definitely wanted to do this for a yeah, little yeah. bit of time. Um, so I did that. Um, and basically from then on, it was... Go-karting. Yeah, and exactly. Go-karting and rugby. Go-karting and rugby. Yeah. Okay. So I was... Let's talk about high school now. So yeah. go-karting a fair bit. Playing rugby. Also loved my rugby. Um, rugby I union? Did, rugby union, yeah. I did, I did a couple of other sports, union. but um, rugby union I was like completely keen on. That was like with playing with my school and also with a club. What school did you go to? I went to TSS. Yeah. yeah so I went there from prep. Um, Southport school. Yeah, exactly. Um, till year eight. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I was playing with them, but also playing outside with a, with a club. And uh, the difficult thing was karting was always my priority. So... I wanted to play rugby, but you know, if I obviously karting was on a weekend, so was club rugby. Right. So I it was a, the exact mm. exact same as you. When I was young, it was like I'd have a surf comp on a Saturday morning, and then yeah. I'd have rugby in the Arvo, and I'd like rock up with like wet sandy hair, and the coaches would be like, "You miss bloody warm ups again!" Like, yeah, and then exactly. I ended up having to go like, you know what? I'll go surfing. Yeah, like, how so it was for you as well. Kind of yeah. When I was um when I was thirteen. And it was the last year I kind of had to choose what I really wanted, exactly wanted to age. do. And it was always going to be 
to go on get tackled by guys I drive really <laughs> exactly. fast I'll take driving really fast yeah I've got a helmet on I don't get it's smacked exactly. you know it's, it's a, maybe it's not, maybe it's not safer, safer but um, actually, yeah, it feels yeah. a bit when I'm in the car yeah, and yeah. Uh, in your control a bit more exactly yeah completely oh yeah some things but um yeah so I went to when I was 13 um I basically fully just com- not that I was never fully committed but I was just um did a full year of karting here in Australia and uh tell me about that what's the karting circuit like in australia i was i only just watched drive to survive for the first time like last year so i'm and i've, I've been on <laughs> since the first time i met you like i'm not a big car and like motorsport person at all but i watched drive to survive recently and i was watching it and i was like these are like some of the biggest profile athletes ever and i started watching i was like these guys are all just kind of like nerdy little go-kart driver <laughs> like not in a, in a, yeah, yeah, in a yeah, like yeah. the most talented amazing like psychopath nerdy yeah. little like go-kart drivers who yeah. are just like kids who would have just been ripping around the track as kids mm. and i was like so that's what f1 is like yeah but yeah so tell me about the circuit what, it was, what does it look like if you're a young australian kid that watches oscar piastri watches you watches danny rick yeah and goes i want to be the next one what's what is i wouldn't even know like you know every karting in australia yeah like now the level actually is is really high so it was to be honest always quite high when you think about it in this perspective is every country like if you go to any almost every country you know that has a proper sort of championship and, and connection between low and and high sort of competitiveness yeah there'll always be three or four guys who are quick yeah and no matter where you go you'll always you know they'll always be quick at their certain track at that and mm-hmm. it's always gonna be hard to beat them and then the difference is then when you go to europe and you're on the world stage it's those three or four guys are there which are filling up now a grid of 30 or 40 mm. and so now all of a sudden the whole grid's quick um yeah, and wow. you think about here we have it now in some categories you know the sport's only evolving i think when i was in it it was still quite old everything was that we were using were for engines that they've been using for quite some time and i was fortunate to go and and race in the us once or twice a year when i was karting to go and um and do this race that was in las vegas it was sort of this uh, super national race on a, on a street circuit my dad had a little bit of bu- uh, a business there as well so it was kind of a good opportunity yeah, for him to go. Say, through your dad did you kind of get some water not hookups but exposure to like the best equipment the kind of relationships to because i can imagine a lot of it is a car building which is probably where you probably fall in love as a kid just as much with the building as the racing is that yeah. kind of correct there's or do you like the mechanic a, side of it like or? yeah i like the mechanic side of it i'd say like as a kid i had no clue mm. um it wasn't till in 2014 i started working um with this uh with a guy who I'm still in touch with, Graham Powers, who was, you know, a guru in, in karting and in Australian motorsport. And he was um, went all the way back to with working with Anton, Anton, Anton Senna, who's a Formula One great, yeah. um, and with his first kart. So he's got vintage karts when they first started in 1950. He's got such a foundation of, of karting. Yeah. And I started working with him. And I remember on planes, we would just hear, he'd have like a big book and we'd just be going through everything of every nut and bolt and understanding what everything's going to do. And wow. that's really where I had my sort of karting career as a kid. That was the first year that I won my first Australian championship. And we stayed then together and won the 15 in, in 2016 as well, moving up categories. Did the three years in a row. And that's then at the end of 2016 when it was, I got the opportunity to then move to Europe um so definitely there's a huge bit of you know anything carding or car just understanding 
everything about that cart or car because that necessary adjustments that you're going to need. You've got to be able to communicate. For sure. Like obviously you can give that feedback. Um, you need to also understand what's going on, why you're struggling, why you're slow. But if you can also just have that little understanding of, of what something's going to do, you can, you know, not in a way and in karting maybe more so, but in higher levels of, of formula racing, car racing, there's engineers, you have your mechanics, you know, you don't all almost want to be cocky be engineering the car yourself but you want to be able to provide that information and give that um key mm. pretty concise uh, important little bit of um info it's fascinating how similar that sound as different as a surfboard mm. is but it's the same i used to sit with my shaper and be like mm, i feel like it catches a little bit off the bottom here maybe we can take a little bit off this edge here or oh, it feels like it's a little bit slow when i'm doing this turn or he let sharpen the rails here like obviously a bit lot different yeah, than yeah. a car but same kind of thing and if you don't have the knowledge it's very hard to communicate with your engineers with your shaper for me to actually make improvements yeah yeah exactly so need to know like anything exactly every yeah. little bit of feeling everything that's going on just so you're not delaying yeah uh, delaying it. anything delaying the going in circles yeah, yeah. exactly Let's um, talk about high school. I, I'm guessing you didn't finish school because <laughs> <laughs> I'm thinking about your timeline and it sounds like you're in Europe. Maybe you did. 13. So, yeah, when I was 13. Yeah, so tell um, me what your high school experience was like. You're obviously super into your karting. You're starting to win Australian champs. In uh, 2015, I moved schools from uh, the TSS eight, to yeah. Aquinas, which is a school um, in Ashmore. So I kind of always wanted to move schools from a very young age um just uh you know change crowd um be a, i just felt that that wasn't really Didn't me in there, exactly yeah. yeah i never really fit fitted in there i just wanted more of a relaxed uh, not that it wasn't relaxed but just um you know i had a couple really good you know couple two good mates there um who i'm still good friends with but other than that really no one yeah. i just didn't really fit in it wasn't really my crowd um yeah didn't enjoy so much my time there i enjoyed the school just not not the crowd so going to aquinas i felt more more free it was nice more relaxed and uh, i really really enjoyed my time there which was which was cool but i needed to move overseas and that was that was my dream not i needed to that was my dream to move yeah. overseas and, and race um in 2017 i did the european karting 2017 so you're 14 14 yeah how was that with your parents? Did your parent, did your mom or dad go with you? Yeah, so setting up um, there for you because obviously your dad knows all about the world of racing and what it takes and the sacrifice it does take with losing some schooling, which I'm sure you probably homeschooled over there anyway. But yeah, talk me about that decision, how that was as a 14 year. I bet you felt like a kid at a candy store. Like, yeah, oh, no, I get to move overseas and live in Europe and race cars. Like literally, did you have to continue your studies there? Yeah, so then I went. Um, I think when I when I first got over to Europe. I think honestly, the first day we went and met with my math teacher. Um, so we went there, met with him. He was doing math, science, um, and some French. Um, so we, I met with where him. You, where did you go? Um, moved. So my dad was living in Monaco. Yeah. For all his career, so at that point it was going to be like sort of my mum, my dad coming coming on and off. So it was going to be really good to be back in in Monaco or that area. Um, especially for my mom if she was gonna be on her, on her own she knew it it was comfortable yeah. she knew people there so initially we spent the first six months just outside of monaco getting our visa getting getting the residency for monaco and in, in july 2017 we then moved into monaco and 
that was that 2017 was my first year of European carding, really seeing, I guess, as well. It was a test for my, for me, yeah, for my dad to well. see really if we have a shot, you yeah. know, if, where to continue going. Um, and I think our plan originally was to do another year of European carding, 2018, um, in a senior category, not a junior category. But in, in July, after the European Championship finished, then I got picked up by the Red Bull junior team. And they wanted me to go um, into Formula Four for, for 2018, so it kind wow. of, uh, which was at the right age at, at 15. I'll tell you about that. Were you expecting it, or was it out of the blue? Well, like, or? I think um, my, I think yeah, I was on. I was in my room. My dad was calling me on the way back from the airport, and he'd let me know I was actually a Red Bull athlete since I was 11. Um, so from 11 to 13, I wasn't allowed any branding yeah, on me. You're not so allowed to you over the age you can drink it. Yeah, um, and then so I was just running the colors. And then from when I was 13, I was allowed to run the branding. So I was kind of already in the family. So that was my dream to obviously get into the Red Bull. So that's the team. transition. It's like you make it to the top of karting and then some get picked to go to Formula 4. Yeah. So some get picked to go to Formula 4 from through like an academy or a junior yeah. team. And then some can make that natural transition. So yeah. anyone, um, you know, obviously it's not, not cheap. Um, yeah. So a lot of... Uh, young young kids and carders you know don't have that opportunity to even to make it to mm. formula four so there is alternative routes but it's very difficult then to to go to that pinnacle formula one yeah. when you're not in that yeah, um, you need to in that quickly. step yes especially if they have to go to something like a, a tin top a sort of sedan car it's diff you know it's completely different, different driving style so um, fortunately, you know, I was able to have that opportunity. What does that look like then, driving for Red Bull in the academy in there? It was... Um, so what, you're 16 years old here? 15. 15. Yeah, so 15. It was um, with like the Red Bull junior team, there's always a lot of pressure because the, the program was really cutthroat. How many are in the program? I think usually there's <clears throat> normally five or six okay, guys wow, in the so program tight but like five or six under 18s or something yeah and uh, very rarely um if you don't win say the championship that you're in you just get dropped wow um okay. so it's very it's cutthroat yeah it's very cutthroat you know as we as you saw this year in formula one nick devries yeah. at alpatori wasn't performing gone um gone and but that's that's also the possibility that you have with red bull you can have your shot and you can give an opportunity and if you don't sink if you do swim it's it's mm. you know amazing so you have to take it the good with the bad you know they gave him the opportunity yeah. from one round off in last yeah. year and put him in the car and it didn't work and unfortunately it mm. it goes as quickly as it came um so it's you know you know that and and that's you're taking that chance and taking that opportunity so, so it you're was 16 um, and driving formula 4 15 15 yeah and, so 15 and driving in formula 4 and yeah. when does formula 4 race because this is all something that's so new to me. So I probably should have so done more research, but I kind of like that I can just come in as an idiot because I'm sure most people listening, yeah. and I'm sure most people, when they, even if they enjoy motorsport, might know about F1, but then two, three, four, E, I don't know anything about yeah. them all and like the how to build up and like where they race because I'm yeah. guessing one and two is at the F1 tracks, but where's yeah. three and four? So in Formula, like Formula 4, each, or not each, but a lot of countries have their own Formula 4 championship. So... Australia had an F4 championship for a little bit. Um, uh, Asia has their own F4 championship. Um, Dubai, like the UAE have a championship that runs over winter. Okay. So a lot of people um, will race either a selected championship through the year. And if they want to have more seat time, they'll go and do the UAE championship okay. over our summer, yeah. um, over December, January, kind of keep keep some seat time. 
Um, but the top championships, uh, you would say, uh, there's the British Formula Four Championship. Um, there's Italian and ADAC, which is ADAC is uh, the German and Spanish. Okay. So these, the who are the Italian and the German, um, all the same teams and drivers do both of them. Yeah. So they <clears throat> they're like seven round championships. So all the teams and drivers they do both of them, and then the the British Championship is what Red Bull used to it was say higher at a time you know that championship seemed yeah. was, was quite high at the point so they put us into that championship and as well in the uk it's old school circuit it's it's raggy there's no room for air it's not on fia approved circuits apart from silverstone so you go off like it, it's brutal there's no room for error so it was quite cool to have my first year racing there um how'd you go i'm good i got uh, three three wins, twelve podiums. Um, I think yeah, three or four pole positions. So it was good. I had um, yeah, when I was on my way to my, my first win in the third round, I was halfway, uh, half a lap to go. My exhaust broke, didn't finish. Luckily, the next race I was able to win, but I had uh, I think you know five mechanical issues or, or failures while leading, which put me quite a bit back. So I finished as as the first rookie, but P P five in the championship, um, and initially i ended up getting dropped by red bull at the end of that year and i went i was doing some european formula 3 testing and then that was going really well um so then i actually got re, re, re yeah exactly re-signed um so yeah it was a um you know i wouldn't say really up and down old, man this is like year nine in high school like yeah. there's a lot to deal with driving multi-million dollar cars driving <laughs> like yeah, it's crazy. How was your mindset then? Do you still look back? I mean, you're only 20 now. You're still a kid now. But do you look back and go, wow, I was a kid then? Yeah. Because I, I was talking to you last massively. night about mindset and it sounds like you've evolved and matured a lot recently. So yeah, to, to, yeah like to, to think about it, sort of through 17, um, I was, it was sort of an age 14 coming 15 where people are starting to, to go to parties. They're starting to, you know, starting to, uh, you know, I've never drank, but people are starting to, you know, never go out at, at night. They're, um, they're, you know, people are having parties, they're going, doing this. And I'm like, oh, you know, I want to kind of be doing that. I felt like I was missing out a little bit in a way. Like I definitely didn't feel like I was taking a sacrifice, but I'm like, all my, all my good mates, you know, on a Saturday night going, at, like going to their mate's house, having a party. And so when I came home at the end of 2017, I kind of, you know, wanted to be doing that and really um really sort of hanging out part like not partying but going you know going to some parties socializing, yeah, exactly yeah. socializing being a normal kid for yeah. the first time in probably a year and um to be honest i wasn't with hanging out with like the who i would think now is the best crowd um yeah. who i at that point not that i was doing anything wrong or anything bad but i was looking back and i was um chasing something that you know i thought i was missing out on but in really mm. reality i wasn't you know the when i was there experiencing yeah. it and it wasn't something that i was really missing out on yeah. at all um so going then into 2018 um yeah it was i can't even think of where my head would have been back at then you know i don't really even think i had you know i know you had to be mentally strong keep your emotions back but like to be honest yeah you th if i could go back now knowing what i know with my head strength and, and everything, I, you know, it'd be completely different. But I guess that's all about mm -hmm. learning. Um, you know, I wish I did and I wish I was able to do that. But yeah, you know, that sort of that pressure and that environment it would have been difficult. But I think I was still just enjoying it yeah, as well. Yeah. You know, like like I am now, I really enjoy it. Yeah. But 
as you get higher up, obviously the pressure gets yeah, more. Yeah, the pressure and the expectation. Has your dad kind of been your right hand man for quite a lot of it with mechanic, like mechanic stuff, but like he's always been there. Stuff, like been yeah, there, exactly, yeah, management and stuff and yeah. everything. Yeah, he's yeah. always um, in the loop, that always there. With chatting. a bit of guidance, knowing like you've kind of got not that backboard to lean mm-hmm. on, but you've got massive a, a trusted person that knows yeah. what they're doing and only has your best interest. Is like yeah, yeah. so I'll. Fast, fast, yeah, forward fast forward a little so bit. Um, but I had a I had a guy who was working. Um, who I started working with in 2017. A uh, a Scottish guy. So there was Formula Formula One driver David Coulthard, um, who won 13 Grand Prix um, with uh, with McLaren and, and Mercedes McLaren and Red Bull. So he was Scottish and another Scottish driver. And David Boyce, this guy, was working with them kind of as they were coming up and. I started working with him sort of as uh, some guidance to sort of mentor me, to get me, to grow me up yeah. in a way, you know, really to, to transfer me from a boy to a man, if yeah. you can say. And so I worked with him from 2017 till the start of 2021. And uh, yeah, 2019, rough year, uh, 2020 through COVID. What yeah. was 2019? What was rough about it? 2019, just not in the right car, not the right. I was in a, in a championship with, a, with two engine manufacturers. Um, and uh, we're supposed to be doing one championship that ended up folding. So we had to go into another championship. There was no Politics, real spot. Yes. Yeah, there was no real spots available. So had to go with a team, which was, um, you know, probably not too bad, less ideal, but we were just not with the right engine manufacturer. And um, yeah, I was uh, literally just getting smoked. Um, everywhere had, a, you know, I think two second places, but other than that, uh, it was like a, a European F3 championship and I, I finished, yeah, well outside the top 10. I think 11th in the championship. That must be so hard. I watched like even the guys in F1 who are driving and like nothing against those cars that are in the, you know what I mean, almost every day, 15 to 20. And it's like those drivers, you probably raced against a lot of them and they're probably like the best of the best, but then they just don't even have a car that can even match. So it's just like, it's such a cutthroat sport. Like you can be the second best driver of all time, but you had um buddy um hamilton in a mercedes it's just so specked out that no one can race him and it's just yeah. like so many people just end up like being so good that never actually get the recognition because they're versing someone in a car that's just unbeatable some years it looks like yeah like looking back to then the guy who won the championship in 2019 uh, marino sato a japanese guy who i'm really good friends with now but he was actually my teammate in my first year of formula two and in that year he was in you know the top team with the the Volkswagen engine manufacturer and I could not get close to him like absolutely nothing and he'd done two years of Formula Two so he's coming in you know experienced and um, you know I clearly I was clicking with the car in Formula Two I was in the right but there was not really qualifying a session where he was within six or seven tenths of me in Formula Two in the exact same car and the same material um, and you know nothing sort of bad on him but it was just showing the reality of like i could not get close to him in in the euro formula and now um having that and seeing that it was um you know when once i'm in the right car and sort of in the right team and how much sort of that things can change but yeah 2019 rough 2020 through covid um (laughs) really rough as well i was um didn't have the right wasn't with the right team didn't feel right wasn't um it was my first year of that world stage with for the with formula three and due to covid instead of being a full calendar we had nine rounds in 12 weeks so it was um triple header and then a week off triple header week off triple header week off so even with being with a team who 
wasn't ideal for me. There was even not that really time to build on anything, you know, to go back, analyze work. It was just a snowball effect. And um, yeah, really tough year. And I didn't, um, didn't score one point. And yeah, it was just a really tough. And, you know, you're also then questioning, you know, yourself, your talent, ability, everything. I was thinking that I might end up, you know, having just to come home and, and try and find a find a drive in the in the category in the V8 supercars or really you know do something else because I was yeah horrendous to be honest that year and I got the chance at the end of the year to um, test with a a team um, who was a, a front running team and uh, straight away you know I think um, so you're I one still car had and you weren't doing that well and then somebody in the front running team was like here come over drive of our car and just let's just actually see how you are this year did that give you some confidence yeah it was at the end of year testing um post-year testing i still had some areas that i could work on so point we went to a track that i struggled with at this part of the track but you know straight away i was quickest in the first sector, quickest in the second sector but i was still a little bit off in that last sector but thing was then we worked, we worked in that point. We're able to go do some testing over winter at some really twisty and tiny, like tight tracks to really get my, my slow speed corners better, get my understanding, get my technique a little bit better in that area. And I really sort of evolved and, um, those areas like my mind that I still need to work on, but it was kind of that opportunity that I had that I could find that, you know, where it was when I wasn't in the right package and the right team, it was just everything was, was bad and mm. trying to, identify really what it was was difficult but then it was like no the speed's there the talent's there but this is the areas that we need to sort of work through in yeah. order to to properly be there and be at the top it's it's there's just so many moving parts and it's like it needs to be the perfect storm to have success in f1 it, it's just like so wild hearing like your experience and journey to get there so we're at about 2020 going 2021 yeah okay and uh I was, and then uh, to 2021, you were driving F2, yeah? F3. F3. F3, yes. It was my second oh, season of F3. Year 20, uh, last year was F2. Yeah, last year was okay, F3. Yeah, okay, so let's 20, talk about 2021. We're 2021. getting there. We're almost up to it. <laughs> talk to you a bit more about the cars and a bit more um, about present. But so Yeah, 2021, um, F3, with I ended up finishing second in the championship. It's a vice champion. Um, it was, yeah, it was a good year. To be honest, it was probably, it's one of my funnest years so far where there was only eight rounds of the championship but three races each round so um i was really enjoying me through a race weekend uh, a race weekend so normally we have races on a week um so we arrive on the wednesday yep and tonight um thursday morning we rock up the track um we go for we have to sign on obviously then uh go for track walk so with the team go spend time with the track um with them go around the track you know not necessarily you can be um saying formula one it's completely different you have all the engineers on the track walk you're going through uh you know engine deployment area um controls so but with the formula 2 we don't really have those capabilities so we're more talking about yeah. the weekend run plan structure yeah. and then you come back you'll have some you know some pr so some video you know interviews yeah. whatnot um and then we also always usually have two meetings as well with the team to sort of discuss the weekend discuss where we're going with the car where we're starting yeah. how we're going to structure the session um and friday we rock up usually between 10 and 12 we'll have our first practice session which is 45 minutes and then we go straight into a 30 minute qualifying session that afternoon which is usually between two and three laps um so we usually get four or five laps in practice um and then qualifying we usually structure the run plan to have two or three laps because the tire can only usually hold on for that one lap maybe 
two depending on on the circuit. Um, and uh, then we have we have um, in Formula Two, Formula Three, and Formula Two, we have a sprint race weekend format. So we have a, a sprint race which is usually on Saturday afternoon, and that's a reverse of the top ten from qualifying. So if you qualified tenth in qualifying, you would be starting on pole for Saturday sprint race, and vice versa. If you polled it, you'd be starting tenth. Um, and for that race, that only the top eight score points, and it's just ten points for the win instead of twenty five like in the main race. But the annoying thing is you put it on pole and then you're starting tenth, but you're out of the points now. So in order to even get one point, you have to get a couple of points. Uh, but then you start on pole up. for the next race. So exactly. Is that like kind of strategy that you're okay if you start in like fourth or fifth because then you can catch up and get a few points there, and you can catch up and win. There. Exactly. You know, in the end, you want to get pole and you want to you know start on pole for the main race, but it's. You know, sometimes in the feature race on Sunday, which is typically in the morning, we have a pit stop. Um, and we don't have, especially now, we don't have um, the pr- uh, pressure guns like Formula 1 do. We don't have electric guns, which aren't ideal. It's to, to save cost, the less room for um, for shipping and whatnot. And the guns are, are not ideal. So it's like so a slower tire change. Slower tire change, but also more chances for things to go wrong. So... In a way, if you have, if you're starting, if you qualify, say seventh or eighth, and you're starting P3, P4 for the sprint race, you can potentially get a strong sprint, which finishing on the podium, and then with a good pit stop and good strategy, you can end up on the podium again on Sunday. And sometimes it can almost Do work better. better. To start at the back. Exactly. So you never plan for that, yeah. but it can happen. Um, like such last year in, in Formula Two, I was leading the, the the final feature race in Abu Dhabi, and I came in for my pit stop, and my front left wheel wasn't put on properly, and it went flying off, but we'll get we'll get, get there we'll get in, a, in, in a bit. Um, but yeah, the, the weekends we only have four four sessions, so it's a so it's practice, practice quality. But you said you had three races in a week. So in in 2021, they were trying a different trialing a different format with Formula Three and Formula Two. Um, I had seven rounds in Formula Three with three race race weekends and. Um, like three. what's three races so it was a, a Saturday two night. races you had Saturday morning you had a race and Saturday afternoon you had a race and then Sunday so you had two sprint races so it would be the um, grid format from qualifying would be race one reversed and then the finishing order from race two the top ten would be reversed okay. and then how, does, how many laps is a sprint line is the sprint is uh, 50 minutes oh it's 50 okay. minutes yeah oh, 45 pretty, to 50 minutes so yeah, it's shorter so you can still catch yeah 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 up sure. and like go from um, back to back into the front of the you can but it's also change in 50 minutes no no mandatory stop um so you use the harder compound of tire but also it's um it is super difficult to overtake and to pass so usually having that tire change you can run beyond different strategy but say if you on a track that is difficult to overtake um you want soft track on budapest. overtaking and then you can do the pits if you could if, like you if, if it worked you could do that but yeah. like in budapest i started 10th i finished 10th uh, I couldn't because you think that the people who are in front of you qualified second, third, fourth. So it's not like you're overtaking slow yeah, people. True. You're, you're overtaking, overtaking the guys who are only half a tenth, couple hundreds behind you. So it's um, it is. It seems like it's just through. a fair way to give all the guys who always finish like last in qualifying to give them a few. Literally, points. it's almost like everyone gets a trophy <laughs> yeah. sort of thing. Um, okay, so it's your best year, your favorite year that you said. Why is one that? of them? Finish? It was. was it was, was the highlight of that year. I think it was it was cool because we didn't have so many race weekends. I really I had my one of my good mates um, also living over there with me. Um, plus, it was the first full um, most of the time, and my girlfriend came over for a solid period of time as well um, in in July. And we're really 
had more time also to enjoy Europe. And I know that's not what I'm over there really to do, but it was it was nice because I got kid. the yeah, I had the best of both worlds, which was which was really cool. Um, and it was a really nice. I had a really good relationship with the team. Um, you know, I was able to do some carding, go do the sim, and then go to the race weekend, and all all with my team manager. And yeah, the the relationship, the chemistry, the vibe it was all really nice. I I really enjoyed that. Um, and and you know, it was a good year results wise as well. How'd you end um, up in it? Ended up, year? yeah, vice champion. So we ended up vice second there, vice it, champion. Yeah. It didn't go completely, you know, to completely perfect, completely ideal. Um, we were, you know, still the underdogs, you could say, with the team and the car. Um, but we say did the most, and there really wasn't much more we could have done. So yeah, yeah. we um, we're, we're happy with sort of how it how it ended. But I think we we're twelve points away with the win, away from the championship. Wow, so right it was there. close. Um, but. Uh, then I got the opportunity at the end of that year to do um, to do the final two rounds of Formula Two. Uh, so jumping in straight off, uh, never tested anything more than a Formula Three, and I got to jump in. Tell me the difference between a Formula Three and Formula Two car for the people listening. They go, "Oh, it just means mm-hmm. you go up a division, but it changes yeah. the speed of the car. It changes." So like we were, went from a thirteen-inch tire to an eighteen-inch tire. Oh. Um, it's slightly heavier, and it's also about six seconds faster. So they, that's quick yeah <laughs> so quite a lot you know it doesn't sound massive six when seconds over how yeah. a distance there six seconds over like a minute uh say oh, a minute 30 lap okay. time yeah wow. um so it's that's a lot quicker yeah so it's it's quite a lot and uh i jumped straight into uh, this brand new street circuit in saudi arabia which was the fastest street circuit ever made in history and i was yeah um but to be honest i ended up the final, the next round, I qualified second. Um, wow. I was like half a tenth, uh, half a tenth away from Oscar Piastri, who'd raced the full year in Formula Two, and uh, I think that was really the first time I got pro- properly put sort of on the map, you could say. And it was where you got that, exactly, got those two opportunities at the end yeah, of the year to really Formula show two, what I could got do because I was jumping in. You know, I had no testing, I had no nothing, which usually you would have. Um, so that was that was really cool and set a good tone for. For 2022 and then you got a seat for got a, yeah two i was already for... signed with a team before those two rounds for for 2022 um i went the first round of formula two and i put it on pole in bahrain um which was talk, yeah talk it was through the the going over the um is it the same, same qualifying as f1 now it's like elimination qualifying no it's just yeah. one 30 minute session Okay, one so one thirty minutes session, the and we lap. at the end of it, yeah. Fastest so lap. wow, so um, you spent thirty minutes trying to put down the best lap time. You we in the in bar in Formula Two, especially at some circuits, we just literally have we have out, we do our warm up lap for the tires, one lap, and we come in, and, how and then we have to get it, like three goes, two I, two goes, two but goes. because. We're not allowed to refuel during the session, so that first run will never be the fastest yeah, run because you have fuel. Exactly. Oh, so, so many things. So everything just comes down really to that final lap. I always trip on that watching it going like, you fuck up the first corner just a little bit, your lap's done. Yeah, pretty much. Well, like, yeah, massively. And, like, and you guys are like looking at hundreds of seconds. Like, there's no room for error. Like, no, it's no important room. if that isn't perfect. If you do have that, to to not let. Mm. your mind dwell on that it has to just go straight away because it's like no we still have the rest of the lap to try and salvage um so yeah tell me tell me the feeling going through your head you you got your helmet on you've just driven over the line your first f2 race as an actual f2 driver i yeah it was driving in pole at bahrain it was it was cool because like there was a bit of pressure from not pressure but you know my dad was on my case as well that at the start of that year saying you know got to be prepared got to be onto it 
And I remember my last couple of weeks at home, I had COVID and I wasn't able to be training and carding. And my dad was kind of on my case being like, you know, I haven't been carding, I haven't been doing this. And I've been like, no, like I was doing that, you know, I'm just literally, I'm sick as hell. Like I can't literally get out of bed. Like it was, it was quite like rough. So to go there um, in sort of in testing, we were running some teams, you can run more field to not show the true potential and so on. You run a little bit so you're not showing everyone what's mm. going on. So testing, it was a little bit iffy. And so when I got pole, I was kind of, it was just a proof to go in my head. I'm like, fuck. I can do this. Yeah. Did you have a car that was like, exactly. Yeah. It was really good. You are like, yes, it's going to be a fun year. Yeah. So to like solidify that, to show that I had Sick. been working, had been doing that. So um, tell me about last year then and talk me through the year. Yeah. Last year was, was Did you end really up good. Bahrain? Um, no, I was, I was <laughs> I leading. It. I'm looking at it. I was, I was leading. Um, I did. Did my pit stop, had slightly a, a slow pit stop. I got held up in the pits. So as I was coming out of the pits, the guy who was in second um, was coming past me into turn one and into the first turn. We were side by side. And uh, I should have I should have just backed out of it and conceded it. And, you know, he was a bit aggressive and just took off my front wing. Oh, no. And, um, yeah. Came and from to did not finish. I finished, oh, finished, came in, ended up doing like three more pit stops in the end. Um, ended up finishing 10th, so I got A one point. point. Yeah. But, yeah, that was not good. <laughs> no, that, yeah, that, that was... another thing that I wig out watching you guys, like... The roller coaster of emotions for a weekend from yes, I won pole to yeah. fuck, I didn't finish the race. It's just like these emotions. It's crazy. Yeah. Like, yes, we had one driver win the event, but then we have a million dollar car crash. That's yeah, it's it's completely um, <laughs> great. It's a, yeah, it's a massive roller coaster. Tell but me about we had your first win in F two. You won what? You won a few. Last yeah. Year, so it? last year, um, had my first win in Silverstone. It was a, a wet race. Exactly the same situation. To when I won my first Formula Three so race, it was sick too. Um, hey, UK. Yeah, so it was wet, starting fourth, exactly the same position I was starting. It was a drying, a wet race on on wets, and that was a really cool sort of came came through. Ended up winning. It was quite close to the end, and but it was a really it was in a sprint race, so it wasn't a feature race. Um, I qualified sixth, I think, so, or seventh. Yeah, so I started, go, I started fourth, and. Um, but it was, you know, I wasn't really thinking of that at that point. I was stoked just to get my first yeah, win in Formula yeah. 2 and, and be there in those Spraying conditions. The exactly. Um, but if you don't drink, it's... Yeah, <laughs> I spray it. <laughs> um, but yeah, I'd go then forward to my um, to my first win, yeah. prop, which I call my first proper win, which is the feature race, yeah. which was in Belgium. Um, I started fourth again, actually, um, and got to second. Uh, and I went for... A, a boldy call and strategy so the whole first stint i was close behind the guy who was leading and i decided to um undercut him which is i mean box to lap earlier which sometimes on a, on a circuit like that it can be quite difficult because we don't have tire warmers so we're coming out on stone cold tires and when it's a high speed track you can really lose out that mm. that extra lap obviously you'll gain it on their out lap but to really make a difference but because it was such a long lap, my second sector already in the out lap was two seconds quicker than my lap before. So I was able to, when he came out of the pits, get in the lead and and be able to have that. So that was sort of a really cool race. It was at a timing where, um, which was a super critical timing because it was when Oscar Piastri, McLaren and Alpine were having a big, big moment. So I would had kind of just been put into an unofficial reserve driver role. There was a free seat at Alpine for 2022 and 
the timing was 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 pretty good you could say so it was a, a cool time to get my first feature race win wow and then you went pretty well last year After- you get a seat as a reserve driver for Alpine yeah so I was pushing quite hard to get a, a full-time seat for this year um in the end I just missed out with Pierre Gasly getting the seat. Um, but at the end of last year, after that, it got quite rough. I qualified second in, in the Dutch Grand Prix. I was coming second in the in the feature race. And on a safety car restart, someone went too early and hit me in the back and put me in the wall and I didn't finish. Um, went to Italy that next the next week. I qualified on pole, was starting on pole, went to do the start of the race and my steering wheel failed. So my clutch and everything stopped working. So I didn't finish that. And then went to Abu Dhabi was leading the feature race and had the bad pit stop. So it was just, um, it was, yeah, Series super unfortunate event. Exactly. It was a super tough end of the year mentally. Um, but I, you know, between all that, I had my first outing in, a, in an F1 car on, on the race weekend. Yeah, let's and- talk about that. I want to talk about this. This is something that every, <laughs> I guess probably every man, <laughs> every maybe every woman too. Like it's just a, a man thing going fast in a car. Mm. And F1 car is the fastest car you can drive in the world, basically. Well, it is, yeah. 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 I'd say maybe not optimal top line speed, but in general, yeah, it's yeah, the fastest car. Yeah, the fastest yeah. way to get you. <laughs> but not many people get to drive them. Like, unless mm. you're an F1 driver or an F1 reserve driver, you might get a lap or two here or there. Is yeah. there some reserve drivers so, that don't even get a lap? Yeah, well, now so they have a... Um, there's a rule now in Formula One where they have to give a young driver two free practice sessions through the year on the on the race weekend, um, and it means both drivers have to sit out of one free practice session. So, say for Mick, who has raced two years in Formula One, in order to be a rookie for that to you know be able to do that session, you have to have raced less than two races in Formula One. So he's a reserve driver for Mercedes, but he can't do those sessions oh, because he's, he's already, already driven exactly. And like Red Bull now and Alpha Tori have a situation this year, normally Liam Lawson would have done those sessions for them. But now that he's stepped in for Ricardo and done three races in Formula One, he's now no longer eligible to do those practice sessions. So now they're thinking, crap, our person that would lined up for those sessions, now we have to find, mm-hmm. see if one of our other young drivers are ready for that. Um, so I had my first outing in a Formula One car in guitar last year. And I had uh, Ebony, my girlfriend, my mum, my dad there. So it was it was cool to have everyone there. Um, that difference in F1 to an F2 car. To, yeah, massively. Massive. So just the, the sort of acceleration is crazy. You have all the elements of downforce that is, you know, completely up to the teams within obviously regulation, but it's not just a stock championship with one manufacturer making a car. So to be able to feel that. So like F2, everyone's driving pretty similar car, but then you can spec it a little bit. Everyone, so you can just change um, the mechanics to it. You can't change the aerodynamics. You can't change the engine. Okay, but F1, Um, you can. Everyone, everyone, yeah. Say, think a a few teams like McLaren, Mercedes, uh, McLaren, Aston Martin, Williams use the Mercedes engine, but then they have their own aerodynamics. So a few teams use, have relationships for engines, but yeah, yeah, in the end, it's all... Pretty different where Formula Two is good and bad. You know, in, in the end, if you think you have twenty two cars on the grid, but how can you have twenty two equal, perfectly equal mm. engines? So there's two sides to it. Yeah. But um, yeah, hopping into that world was was crazy. Yeah, totally it was true. A, for pulling that pulling that helmet on, holy it was, shit, clicking the button here in the roar of the F one. Yeah, car. it was a like a lot of nerves, but also just a lot of emotion. Sort of dreaming of that day for such a long time. Um, and having it finally there. 
So that was massive. But where I, what was like biggest for me was when I was going out for my first free practice session in Mexico last year, because I was sitting in there, I had, you know, the TV, I was with the full race team and my name was on the TV, you know, with Sebastian Vettel, Lewis Hamilton. I was about to be going out on track with them for my first session. And that was pretty crazy to, to see that, the, the emotion and the nerves, kind of everything coming back to know that I was having this opportunity that I was going to be actually driving in a Formula One practice session. It was, it was crazy. That's so cool, man. I want to talk to you about this mindset because you probably felt this. How hard is it to push that thing? Because you're in, you've got this mindset of, I'm trying to like work out how to say this. You've got this mindset of, oh my God, I'm driving an F1 car. I want to enjoy it. I want to like make sure I get around the track. But then you're also like, I need to fucking show that I can drive this thing or I'm not going to get to drive it again. So it's like this crazy balance of like, Massive balance, I've got to yeah. push this as hard as I can. So they let me drive it again, yeah. but not too hard. So they don't let me drive it again. Yeah. I put it into a wall. That's the thing. Like I had Esteban uh Ocon who was whose car I was driving and he came sort of over my shoulder for the start of the session. He's like, you know yeah, he was like, you know, in two thousand and nineteen when I when I gave my car, you know, to a to a rookie for at Force India, you know, he crashed into the last wall there. Don't do that. I'm like, oh, okay, bro. <laughs> like it was like very weird, especially for the FP one. Like, you know, if you do outside testing you would have crashed the car or whatever, but like in the FP one you definitely do not yeah, crash they the need car. To drive that, yeah. Exactly. Oh, so um yeah, you know, I, I pushed it obviously to an extent. I ended up having an issue mid session, so I wasn't able to complete the full session. But it was it was more than than that. You know, it was super cool just to be able to be there, experience that. You know, do everything right. It's mainly you know, they they know you're not going to be doing anything sort of exceptional in that situation. You're not running on the same program as other people. They don't want to take anything away as well from the they main driver. The, yeah. Um, so it's mainly, you know, making sure you run through uh, all the fundamentals and everything correctly so that you have better knowledge for when you hop mm. back in the car for the next time. I'm going to go with two questions here. Have you ever heard a story of someone jumping in in your situation as a reserve driver and just putting in a blinder and them just going, holy shit, and Ooh. just like pushing it harder? Or have you heard any stories of people pushing too hard and crashing too? I don't think I've ever heard of someone jumping in for a free practice session <clears throat> and doing a blinder because normally un until maybe before, until yeah. maybe the last couple of years but before none of the top teams were giving someone a, an yeah. fp1 session so it was all the bottom teams yeah, so they were yeah. never really you know being able to show anything but um i've seen people in the last couple of years hopping in for the fp1 mm. and on first or second laps putting it in the wall and that feeling of coming back in like <laughs> The press you will get, like the the feeling from the team, it, it's not good at all. Oh, and no, yeah. and then having to be there for the rest of the weekend and having that on your chest would uh, I, not I, be a feeling. So touch wood because yeah, I have yeah. two coming up. Uh, um, but yeah, crazy. And what I want to talk to you about real quickly because this is something that people are watching. I'm, I'm sure probably a lot of people do know this, but a lot of your training is in a simulator. How close is a simulator to obviously nothing like driving an F1 car, but from a track point of view, from a steering and changing of gears point of view, how similar is it? Like the, our home simulators that we use, like... Not much. No, nah, it's not similar really at all. Like it's not comparable a, a little bit here and there. Like it's really good to get your eye in for the track. Yeah. Sort of get that fun. You know, what I enjoy most is just like racing because we can't race a lot in, in mm. the end. You know, it's not really Actually something we can do. Yeah. yeah. So 
uh, overtaking, doing that sort of, you, you can't really practice that. So to be able to do that on the sim, on, on one of the programs on there, I really like that. And most of the time on my home sim, well, there's not even Formula 2 on there, really. So I'm driving, you know, a, a Mazda, racing a Mazda MX-5, a, a Toyota uh, 86, you know, F4, an F3. Um, just completely all different GT3s, all different cars. Um, and it's the, the Formula 1 simulators, which are, are really, really close. You know, there's the limitations that you have in the real car you have on the simulator. So it's completely in tune. It's not like the simulator is hooked up and it's also the driving and the real car is not. The two are very well connected. Wow. So that's so, where you do a lot of your training in the Do a little bit F1 there. Um, You're saying you're going over to Europe um, to do some training in the simulator. Soon, yeah. yeah. After guitar, I will go straight um, straight on the Monday flight to, to the UK and go to the factory and do an afternoon in the sim for my two FP1 sessions. So you'll practice, yeah, your FP1 sessions exactly, before yeah. you do it. Because that's what I was thinking before when you said, I did my first one, like so nervy. Nervy, but you've also probably done like hours in the simulator practicing just for that FP1 session yeah. as well. Which in the end, like it's it's almost like as soon as you hop into it, like all of that's it not almost, out of the window, I but bet, like, I yeah, bet. it's completely different. Um, Now it'll be completely different because I've had quite a bit more mileage in an F1 car. I feel a lot more confident in the F1 car. Like I feel at home mm. in that in that situation. So that'll be a lot easier than when it was last yeah. year um, because I think, when was that? I'd only driven a Formula 1 car three times before, even though that's more than, than zero. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it was still like so new and because yeah. what I was testing was the 2021 car, not the 2020 two car which yeah. were in last year which the specs are completely different um oh. so hopping into that was a little bit of an unknown yeah true because yeah, getting in the car each year would be different yeah so, yeah so yeah, let's talk about this year now what's um what's been happening so yeah this year what's um the forecast looking forward and yeah then i'm just gonna quickly before we wrap it up talk about the mindset shift that you kind of feel like you're in now compared to a couple of years ago we were speaking about that last night yeah interesting I stayed with my same team. I uh, had the opportunities to go sort of elsewhere for this year, but I decided to stay with the same team because I felt that, especially at the end of last year, you know, we were the fastest package on track by far. We were, were really on it. So I stayed with them um, and went back to, to Bahrain and uh, did qualifying. And I was, you know, P18, one, you know, 1.8 seconds off, off the pace, you know, uh, 1.8 seconds off the guy who I out-qualified last year. And I was just had no clue what what was going on you know it just didn't feel right we weren't getting the correct numbers on the car and everything uh, you know the it was yeah completely a huge shock to the system because you know I it was the first first year this year that I had my coach come out at the start of the year from the start of January we were you know working harder than ever you know I was super fit last year but I just went to another level for this year and I felt like the preparation um was really on another level compared to what it was. We had testing in Bahrain and decided to stay out in Bahrain and, and work there leading up to the race weekend. And then for all this build up, not that there was expectation, but there was in a sense because, you know, we ended last year as the fastest package. Mm. I felt comfortable, felt good in the car. So there was no reason why it, it wouldn't be. And there was all this, you know, extra work on top that we yeah, did yeah, to yeah, ensure yeah. of that. And it was just like a big shock knowing that like, you know, no matter what I do almost outside of this car, if it isn't, in the window if something's not right nothing i do is going to change that fact no matter how many hours i put in outside so it must be so hard when things are out of your control like it's like, as an athlete it's the hardest thing ever and you forget in f1 
and F2 and in a sport where it comes down to the equipment is so, so important. You can't, you can't compete unless no. you're on the best equipment. Yeah, exactly. So the next five rounds, um, I had no clue what was going on. You know, I was really struggling. Um, I was, yeah, completely at the back. I think we were P18 in the championship, um, struggling like hell. And we went to a, had an in-season test in Barcelona and they said they might have found something on the on the rear, um, some, some couple of things. And uh, we were able to, to change that. And all of a sudden, the first lap that I did, I, I went into the first turn, I was hit the brakes and it was completely different, completely back to normal, had that feeling. Um, that three-day test were quickest. So it just went from zero back to, not hero, but no, back to where it back was. Back to where, you know? yeah, where you... So that was an awesome feeling. Um, and something that's important for me this year, which was a really big lesson learned. And it's not like it just went back completely straight away because the next few rounds, we were still, you know, working back the confidence myself, also with my engineer. So it's not like we we're back straight to the top. You know, I'd say we're had the potential of, you know, being P1. It just didn't all sort of come together yeah. at that point because we were getting that connection back together. He was having the trust in the, with me. I was having the trust with the car and also with him. Um, so it was a, a working sort of building area. But I was, it was Monaco, um, Monaco weekend. And I was in in fourth in, in the feature race, which was, you know, 12 points, which I would do anything for now. Um, and, you know, which would have been a solid position and, I had a, a virtual safety car, which isn't a safety car. It's where it's done on Delta and done by GPS. And if you catch it at a good time, it can be really good to you. If you catch it at a bad time, you can lose more time. And I caught it at a bad time and I lost, say, three, I lost three seconds. And I, in my head, I'm like, oh my God, I just lost three seconds. You know, something else now outside of my control. And at that point, I can't remember anything until. I clipped the wall at the end of the swing pool section in Monaco and I hit the wall. And from not, it was just before I hit the wall, I had a big, I lost the car and it was all of a sudden like I snapped back and I'm like, like, holy shit, like I'm, what's happened in, in that period? And I hit the wall and I didn't know if I'd fully damaged the car or whatnot. I only had left, the next three corners were um, right hand corners. So it was just the left hand side and it felt okay. And I was going up the hill into the casino section. And the second that I touched the brake, I just lost the car and went straight into the wall. And that was massive because I remember like it was a huge crash as well. Um, and I hopped out of the car and I sort of sat down and I was like, what have I just done? Like everything since the end of last year has like been outside of my control. And like, I just crashed on my own. That's inside of my control. Like there's no one, nothing else to blame. There's nothing else. Mm -hmm. Like this is me. Um, so that was really, that was really tough. And it really made me like think like I need to really clear my sort everything out out that happened last year because of how everything was running at the end of last year it was all pretty um, pretty compact you know when I was having those issues with the, in Formula Two going straight then into the manual role of Formula One like being the reserve driver and I was just kind of like just packing it down I wasn't really dealing with it and going through it so that was a thing of going like all right I need to fully process that I need to fully get that out of my head I need to fully reset because that crash was because i was thinking about something else You're now that has happened exactly i'm like oh my god something else outside of my control on top of this on top of that and next minute i'd hit the wall yeah yeah so that was a huge moment which i wish didn't happen but in the end i learned a big lesson from it like what you said at the start you're grateful for those things exactly it's a very mature mindset to have man at 20 it's like it's cool you're gonna go a long way 
hopefully. Um, but uh, yeah, then the next few rounds, um, quite strong, <clears throat> good few points. And uh, going into the summer break, um, had two races in, in Budapest and in, in Belgium. And in Budapest, we put it on pole and won, won the feature race by over 10 seconds. Wow. It was just we led every single every single lap. We had the fastest lap um, on you know both tire compounds. We went longer than it was just you know exceptional weekend. Um, went to Belgium Spa the next next weekend, um, and on the start of my flying lap, it started raining. I wasn't able to get a time down. I qualified eleventh. I'm like in my head, I'm like as if like I you know why can't I just have why can't I just have two good weekends where things you know happen my way. Um, and uh, then in the, the like, well, super quick, the sprint race, I got up to fifth, um, which was good from 11th because I'm um, having to go past the, the guys who mm. were polled by second. And in the feature race, I decided to go on the opposite strategy on the harder compound, which means I go long at that point in the race. And I got a safety car at the right time and was able to, to box under that. And when I came out onto on my new rubber, I was in P2 and uh, ended up you know making the pass for p1 a couple laps later ended up winning the race and going back to back feature race weekends within like a week's time so also the roller coaster from friday to sunday but to end all of that off was uh, it was really nice sort and of that punch. was in summer break just recently hey? yeah and was japan the first one after no, the, no we had singapore with formula two so, we yeah. had um after summer break it was uh the dutch grand prix and then in italy um and then after the Italian Grand Prix in Monza, Formula Two have got a big break till uh, Abu Dhabi in November. Okay, so you guys got a bit of time off now because you're a reserve driver for F1. You still have to go to exactly. all those commitments so, as well. So yeah, like, so I don't have. I have these one weeks. I had the one week after Monza and before Singapore, which I was able to come back, and then also this week between Japan and Qatar, which I was able to come back. So, um, you like like I said at the start, you know, super lucky and grateful to be yeah, here at this time. I go heaps long. I've got so much more that I want to talk to you about. You've got people at your house, but I'm going to wrap this up very soon. I just want to get you to walk me through one thing in your head because I reckon you're going to have, like be so good at this. I want you to imagine you put your helmet on. You're at the start line of um monaco talk me through not what's going through your head but from what you can remember like can do you know exactly like gear one gear two shift up like break can you like think of it like that if you're like imagining it right now you mean could do you, it like exactly yeah, could you close your eyes and try and like drive the track yeah 100 percent. do it yeah. can you do it <laughs> please <laughs> in, in in what sense like- and just all right just close your eyes imagine you're at the start line at monaco and just like yeah like accelerate Turn one, break, shift out. I don't know. Like yeah. exactly where, like speak about yeah, it. Yeah, just volume. imagine, yeah. Um, so main straight, like kinks right. Um, I'd say more of a flying lap instead of starting. Yeah, um, you're flying lap, yeah, you're it. it kind of kinks to the right before going left. You have a, a bridge, you're breaking under the bridge. It's slightly uphill uh, down to second gear. Um, taking the inside curve, but not too much because it's quite aggressive. So if you take too much, it bounces you into the wall um going up the hill into the casino section um it's all blind but you're just focusing on the way to the top as you go on the last kink before coming over the rise into the casino section um you want to be coming over where the car gets light and when you sort of get regain the car again there's a zebra crossing and breaking on the zebra crossing and turning in at, at the white um at the white crossing line which is two meters after that into the crowning because the crowning on, on street circuits or any any street you have crowning which is for um 
for floods and for water, especially on typical old European roads, it's quite a lot. So you need to make sure you're inside that crowning to have the grip because as soon as you go over it, you're in the wall. Yeah. Um, so staying left in the crowning casino section, the wall then dips out um, the, the last point, which is super easy to then hit the wall before turning right um, on the way down into Mirabeau. Uh, on the exit there, it goes really off camber, so you always lose the car. So the track fall, um, falls away, big bump on the exit, so you want to go to the right, otherwise the car bottoms out. You pull back and there's a marshal post um, and a, a billboard. I'm pretty sure it's like a, a restaurant billboard on the left. You're braking there and immediately going into the crowning, into a, a moped parking, um, hugging the inside curb all the way around because if you go out too early, you lose the traction, the exit of the crowning. Then you come into the famous hairpin, which people probably know a lot, which is almost like a, a car park in the way that it's so tight. Um, in there, it's, there's no reference. There's no feeling. It's just, it's all on feeling. Going in, you brake and you literally just release the brake as hard as you can and, and fully go release one wheel and really release one hand and turn as hard as you can, unlock. And you don't, you can't go too tight. Otherwise, you end up rotating too early and you won't actually make the corner. Um, Pulling out an exit, you go to Portier 1 and 2. Uh, this is a double right-hander. Um, you want to make sure that you're in, over the inside, onto the pavement, actually, on both on the first one. Make sure that you take as much inside curb as possible. When you exit there, up next to the guardrail, guardrail fades away because it's going into another street. And as it comes back, that's your braking, your turning point. But because the apex is on the guardrail, you can't actually see where the apex is. So you just have to trust your instinct to turn in and and to know that you're going to get it. Otherwise, if you think to look at where it is, you end up missing the apex. Um, that's the thing when you're coming through the tunnel. It goes obviously completely dark, but you have the lights inside. Um, you bottom out with the car as you turn in from the compression, and then you come out, you stay to the left, but there's a big bump on the exit. And if you're, if you're actually too quick exiting the portier and the RPM is too high, when you go over that bump, it puts you into the limiter and completely stuffs your run. So you need to make sure that you're not too quick almost at that point. Sometimes you need to lift wow. out, exit in the tunnel to make sure you don't hit that limiter. Um, but also then pulling it, pulling the car back straight as late as possible to make sure your the car's straight and the load is equal for braking because it's a downhill braking, but also very bumpy. So very easy to lock up. And also then sending as much speed as possible into that first part of the chicane because it's guardrail. So there's no curb or anything that you want to be as close as you can be to that left part of the guardrail to open up the, the next right hand, the part of the chicane. Once you're through the chicane, it's almost a little little straight. You have a moment to breathe because you know, right, I haven't locked up, I haven't thrown the, way, the lap away at the chicane, but there's also coming into a corner to back, which is third gear, quite high speed for Monaco. And you're really using the margin on the exit. Um, coming in, that's a point where you're braking actually. At the 50, there's a braking mark, you're braking at the 50 into there. Um, trying to release the brake as quick as possible. Now you're exiting into the swimming pool section, um, which is a almost flat left right hander. And if you take too much curb, the car will bounce and you'll get airborne and go straight into the wall. So your line placement, not wanting to turn in too early, but if you turn in too late, then it's completely done. So when you exit out of the swimming pool section, the car's moving a lot, but it's already only 50 meters before then, uh, a little chicane. And that's where I unfortunately tap the wall because you're in, in the race, but in qualifying, you're, you're coming in. It's a, it's a long guardrail. So you're almost, most of the time, you can perfectly just 
rub that guardrail on the right hand side with the with the tire there's a little bit of flex but too much and and you'll obviously break the suspension and go off so you're bleeding in with the brake and with the car and the entry they're trying to flow as much speed as possible before properly stopping it at the last moment to for the left hand that tightens up you can't take that left hand curb because it's a big sausage curb which means it's a big yellow thick one to make sure you can't take too much of it and if you touch that you're straight into the wall um and through there always really slippery on the exit because each night they have the, the nightclubs down there open nightclubs so people are drinking spilling drinks and everything so it's always completely really slippery no. so you have to obviously be very careful going through there on the first lap of the race or, or your session um and you come into the rascas which is the corner because it's got the rascas bar um it's a long sort of gradual left into a tight hairpin and so the car's never completely straight so if you brake too much you'll just lock the the front left tire and go straight so you're always on edge to how much really to push it on the entry there and it's a um the barrier kinks once then goes straight and kinks twice so if you try and turn into early or rear right tire will hit the barrier and you'll um, you'll get stuck so it's a corner where you want to just kind of damage the mutation get through it get rotated um into the last corner which is completely blind um so luckily they, they put a cone up on the top of the barrier just so to give you a bit of an idea um and you're turning in at the zebra crossing and break, releasing the brake hoping that the front of the rear is going to stuck as soon as you can see the apex you're just getting on power and going there's actually an exit curb up to the barrier and if you can just kiss that but not hit it if you hit it the lap's completely over it's not one that you can brush up against and opening drs the long lap but no dude coming out to the start like, finish time <laughs> i'm like anyone listening to that that's like a first-hand account that you could never get unless that question gets asked and what baffles me is like the detail that you just went into how many laps is monaco 72 in formula one it's i think 43 and and to be honest then i i didn't know how long i could go for but that was a no, no, that, of, that was like a probably a short and very actually, short version. Yeah. That was a short version. I'm just like, to keep the focus for 42 laps. Obviously, you're not thinking this. This is just all like secondary in the back yeah. of your head. But this is all like instantaneous processing while expecting you've got probably your mechanics talking to you, team manager talking to you through the ear, and you've got people racing around you. I'm just like. You guys are crazy. And you're going like 300 k's an hour to top it off. And it's like you crash, you're like the consequences are real. Yeah, which I found out. Yeah. yeah. Hey, did you get hurt on that crash? Or have you I, I, was a, I, was a little bit sh- I was a little bit shook up, but the car went into flames. So the wow. car completely went up. Um, and well, so if I, I Sorry, keep going. Um, I were, yeah, the car rolled. Um, if the car, say, actually rolled over, if I got hit um, and it rolled over, and it went up in the flames and it could have been very bad. So, um, yeah, I don't know exactly why. I think they have an investigation to why it went up in the flames because it technically shouldn't. Mm. Um, but it was, um, yeah, in that sense, it was it was quite bad. No, like, were you there when the guy passed away at F2 last year? It was, in, last year? It was 20, 2019. Were you there? I wasn't there because I wasn't doing the Formula 3, yeah. Formula 2 weekend at that point. Um, but he was he was a part of the Renault Academy, who was, who was now Alpine, who... I'm a part of the Formula One team, and yeah, some something similar happened again. Unfortunately, this year in in one of the lower categories, where another boy passed away at the same at that same circuit at the mm. same similar sort of incident. Um, so yeah, it's that's real at Spa, yeah, which is the place actually which I you know won this year. I won there last year. Um, I won there in F3, so I've had really good success there. But it's always a 
a weird feeling oh, yeah, going bet. back there because it's it's somewhere which has massive consequences. Yeah. But unfortunately, it's something that you know can always happen yeah. that you just have to accept. It's crazy. It's, it's, yeah, it's wild. Last second last question. <laughs> I could talk to you for hours. We'll probably catch up again, Definitely. hopefully, once yeah, on those F1 full-time. We can yeah. have, have a good chat about that. But last question, what's, um, what's the plans for next year? As much as I know it's all pretty up in the air talking to you yesterday it's all probably pretty secretive as well with all the yeah. world that's going on but as much as you're willing to share what um what what are you looking forward to in the future how i think i'm looking forward to, you know the 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 plan for me is to um to drive full-time from the one and uh, you know ideally with alpine as well they've done a lot for me so to be able to give that back and knowing that they don't have a seat till 2025, um, which I fully knew sort of at the end of last year. So my plan for next year, uh, it would be awesome to be racing. Um, definitely, I will be a uh, you know reserve driver for next year with Alpine as well. Um, but the, the plan is to try and prioritize whatever I have to do to make sure I can be in the car in 2025. So wherever I have to be, where I have to, I have to race, whatever I have to do, I, I, will, to, I will do just to, to make sure I can really get that chance to have that full-time drive mate i can't wait i'm i'm gonna be rooting for you all the way i'm gonna be starting to watch some f2 <laughs> the rest of this year i can't wait to yeah follow your journey it's been like i said amazing to get to know you for you bringing me into your family home introducing me to your amazing friends and um yeah it's been a really fun 48 hours i've, I've liked, <laughs> no, like, you know you know that, that kind of like not cloud nine phase but you're just like heaps of cool stuff's going on going on like that yeah, the last completely, hours, yeah. really like meeting new people and just like so yeah. curious and intrigued by what's going on with no it's a, it's a cool well. experience when that's happening and, yeah and to, to also like have a take a step back and take it in yeah um so no no and, thank you so much man, and just young cool. ones hopefully this was a pretty different chat than you've had to most of your chats you yeah. got to go a little bit deeper completely on yeah. stuff and hopefully just got to share something with someone who you feel was genuinely curious because yeah. <laughs> it fascinates me you just explaining that laugh at um monaco is just like it's so cool i can't wait to jump on your simulator one day hopefully we can no yeah I mean, you can and try and rip around on the go-karts <laughs> with you one day it's, yeah um, it's fun but we definitely will oh yeah we didn't even talk about it but you're a mad surfer too what got you into surfing um, you live on the goldie yeah living on the goldie <laughs> um my parents having a house down on the beach uh, my uncle always being in the water uh, my dad he had a bad crash obviously riding so his right ankle is completely locked and his right foot got no movement so unfortunately he can't really surf um but my, my uncle he's always been down there so he got me into the water from a from a young age and it's something you know that if i was living here in australia i definitely would be a lot better than than how i am um because i don't obviously get the opportunity to be in the water as much as i can but as soon as i'm home whenever i can i, I love to be in the water and surfing so right. it's a it's just to be honest any sort of uh not extreme sport but anything that i can be doing that is different requires different technique requires me to you know work and sort Being of have present. to that's challenging really uh, exactly but also it's also nice not that it's a, a challenge and that's what i'm doing but it's just really nice to get away to be in the water it's it's fun very enjoyable humbling. yeah <laughs> it's very humbling yeah. <laughs> always smacks you down yeah so. well man this has been incredible i'm super appreciative of it the last question i do finish all the podcasts <laughs> with is the same so you're going to be like 126 person to answer this and i'm excited to hear your answer what has been a good human mean to jack Dillon? um i think uh, one thing which is like specific to not to me but to something like in a high sports, a high athlete or a high sports person or, you know, whatever 
you say you can be doing at a high level or with fame or I think for me it's just always staying like true to yourself and staying being humble and, and staying kind because with fame and becoming you know say a personality or a big person or a celebrity it's super easy to to lose yourself and and lose who you think deserves your time or who mm. you think deserves that appreciation and I think regard you know regardless who it is or who you know who you are or who you've become I just always want to in a way be a little Aussie bogan and just you know I don't you know care who it is where you are where you're from or especially even with fans or people you know asking for your time or whatnot because it's something that years ago as a little boy I would have dreamed of and the you know I just want to always be that same person Mm. and, and really never lose myself and make sure I'm being kind and being the best person best form of myself can be and and that's not in a way like um generic it's you know everyone's different so but just making sure that you understand who that is and what that is and Mm. making sure you're that best self i don't know really if that even makes sense it's perfect i was gonna rewind you back and go you pretty much described exactly how i described you at the start of this chat so you're living up to it man It's, it's really nice to see i said last question already. i'm just curious curious, why don't you drink i didn't get to ask you i think i haven't drunk before as like when i was young and 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 growing up, I'm still growing up, but when I was younger um, and my mates were you know, drinking and partying and at that point, you know, I didn't want to because I was an athlete and yeah. uh, I really didn't want anything to like hinder my performance. And also like it was more so a thing that I thought if I never like, if I didn't end up making it or I didn't end up, you know, fulfilling my dream of being a Formula One driver, a professional driver, I never wanted it to be, you know, maybe if, you know, if you weren't out partying, if you weren't drinking, okay. if you weren't giving it, you know, your all. And if, if, you know, that could have been something, you know, what about if I didn't do that? What if I didn't lose that time or didn't do that to my body? didn't feel, and, uh, nice, and but now actually, like, even if I wasn't racing, I wouldn't drink now. So I've got no, I hate the taste. I would, wouldn't like, um, wouldn't have Enjoy any it. sort of enjoyment from it. You know, I can still go out and have a great time sober and people say that and think of you know how's that possible i couldn't do that but i don't know anything different good on you man so, I, mean, it's cool. I did a year off last year and it's like um yeah it's, it's obviously so good for you but it's so cool to hear someone young in your position with you know what i mean you go to the craziest parties in the world if you want you you know what i mean you're on on stage getting yeah. trophies spraying champagne and you're not drinking like props to you dude you're gonna go a long way i thank appreciate you very it much. But, mate thank you for jumping on good humans it's been <laughs> an absolute you. pleasure i'm not gonna ask you any more questions <laughs> cheers thank no you. thank you cheers so much Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.